from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Wednesday night edition of the program. Happy to be here with you. If you want to give us a call, here's the number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, I'm in a chipper mood. I've got some good news to share with you. You've probably heard it all throughout the news today. And that is that Mitch McConnell, that's right, Mitch the Turtle McConnell, has announced that he's not going to um, seek a leader position in the, uh, in the next uh, session after November. This is a big deal, right? It's a big deal because he wields a lot of power. But, you know, he had those uh, little freezing episodes recently. And uh, this is good. And I got to say, the Democrats are not in uh, as good a position as they once were when Nancy Pelosi was, um, you know, ruling with her iron fist. And I think McConnell sees the writing on the wall that he's outnumbered. There's uh, there isn't enough uh, rhinos like him left this Washington class. And I think he realizes, you know what, sometimes it's time to pack up and retire, pack up, retire, keep it moving, because ultimately I think too many Americans are now hip. Right. We, we know what's going on. People are, are aware of the Washington class and they don't like it. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, there's a bunch of heroes uh, on one side of the aisle and a bunch of villains on the other. No, not at all. Uh, I would say, you know, by and large, that the system is still designed for, for the villains to, to get away. Right. For the um, for the fox to get away with the hens. That's just how it is. And. This always brings me to um, these conversations I have with my brother who's, um, I hate calling him a conspiracy theorist because it makes him sound fringe or like he doesn't know what's going on. He's very, very um, informed and his opinions are different than mine, but I don't think he's wrong on a lot of things. But he he believes so many different things and he thinks that the bad guys are all going to pay a price and that this this day of reckoning is coming. And I always try to walk him off that that ledge and tell him, you know, uh, don't keep your hopes up because that's not going to happen. This is the best that it gets, right? This is it. You know, McConnell doesn't get walked out in handcuffs and we don't see him in an orange jumpsuit. No, he just, he gives up some of the power he has because he's very old. He's old, he's frail, and he just can't do it like he used to. That's it. And rather than, you know, go through a, a defeat, I think he realizes that coming up, It's going to be difficult to contend with whoever uh, wins the Republican nomination, which looks like it's going to be Donald Trump. Donaldus Magnus El Trumpito, the 45th president of these United States. So McConnell knows that he's not uh, looking to get into uh, a pissing match with uh, El Trumpito, and he's definitely going to lose it. So what does he do? He says, oh, I'm not going to run for election as leader. And again, this guy's 82 years old. Doesn't mean that he's too old for the job. But it means that <clears throat> it's time to keep him moving. You know, this is a guy that started in the Senate in 1985. 
So uh, I say farewell, sir. Goodbye, Merch McConnell, Merch the Turtle McConnell. Um, happy to see you leave the leadership. I'd love to see somebody uh, from from uh, his neck of the woods uh, in Kentucky actually step up and, um, you know, as a conservative, a real conservative, and represent uh, Kentucky in the Senate. But, you know, we take the wins as we get them. Uh, I don't think that uh, we're going to get a twofer, you know? I'm not going to get like a Tea Party Republican to replace Mitch McConnell just yet. Anyway, another interesting story. We're going to get to uh, a little bit more straight ahead. But the uh, homicide rate in Venezuela has fallen to a 22-year low. Why? Well, all their gangs are here. They've come in as illegal immigrants and they're wreaking havoc. And, uh, and, and that's not a lie. I mean, we keep hearing new stories every day, right, of different uh, folks from El Salvador, from Venezuela, coming from all over committing these egregious crimes and uh, and violent ones, right, against women. It's a lot of violence against women that that seems to be occurring. And, and the media, the media is just so funny. And when I say the media, of course, I'm collectively labeling them. But even, the, you know, it used to be if you were African-American, you would get cover in the media, right? That, that was the, 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 the way it started. It was, you know, um, if it was a white person that did a shooting, as a white gunman, if it was a black person, it would say armed, uh, armed, you know, person or, or you know, gunman. Uh, it wouldn't say, you know, black gunman. There was always this standard of identifying anybody that wasn't black. And that's continued. Well, now you'll know if they are in the country legally or not, uh, given the, the current, um, I don't know, I'm so tired of calling it a crisis. I guess we can go with invasion. Uh it's crazy to see what's happening at the border, right? But this is what's happening. And with all these people coming in, now we know many of them, like El Trompito warned us of, um, certainly the bad hombres, right? Rapists, murderers, and that's what they're doing. Uh, we see these these different cases. This poor woman, uh, Lake and Riley, 22 years old. Uh, now the police are refusing to release the 911 call. Whenever you hear of these uh, these horrible incidents where little girls or little boys or people are getting shot in shootouts, all of these things are resulting to illegal immigrants. And, you know, the best that the police chiefs can do in these press conferences to be factually accurate is say that they were non-citizens. Right. Then uh, instead of saying, you know, hello, we we hold you responsible, Joe Biden, for this. You have some culpability here. The causation of this is you and your stupidity. Uh, or your genius, your evil genius, uh, how you've uh, managed to to bring in, you know, seven million new people in the four short years that you were in office. I mean, I do call him Joe El Baboso Biden, but maybe he's Joe the Brainiac Biden, right? Maybe he's got us all fooled while he's sitting there, uh, you know, hairy legs, you ain't, you ain't black. But he's pulling it off. Don't know who's paying him for what, but he, he's getting the job done. He's gotten inflation very high. He's got an immigration, highest we've ever seen it, right? We have more people in this country that come across that border illegally than we've ever had before. He's dodging every last uh, charge that we've, uh, you know, that have been lobbed against him in the court of public opinion. This guy's, uh, he's the real Teflon Don, right? Joe Biden. He's going to walk away from this and maybe just Hunter gets a slap on the wrist. 
Joe's going to just, you know, put on his aviator, smile, shake hands with the Easter Bunny, call his wife his sister, and, you know, disappear like Obama did. Buy himself a beautiful million-dollar house on the water and enjoy life. Because it seems like that's, that's the way to go. Just like McConnell, they're going to try and get this last bit in there and enjoy life. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about what's going on at the border because things are absolutely crazy. You've got people crammed up in basements. You've got all sorts of things happening. And um, kids are being um, smuggled across the border. And, you know, speaking of these kids, uh, recently Dr. Phil was catching some headlines because he was on The View and he was saying these kids are being abused. They're all over the place. And I agree with, with what Dr. Phil said. And Dr. Phil, if you're listening, you're invited to come on the program. Folks in the control room, take note of that. Send an invitation to Dr. Phil. I'd love to discuss this with him. Uh, maybe we'll have him on and we could talk about that. Anyway, I want to talk about the border and everything else that's going on there. So keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Migrants living in a small, cramped basement. Emergency services have now been called for this. And News 4's Melissa Colorado is at that scene live in South Richmond Hill. Melissa, we're talking about up to 40 people living in this basement space at one time? Adam, it's actually more. I just spoke to the landlord and he confirmed to me that he had 74 migrants living in this property, living in the basement. You can see police officers are here on scene. It's all part of this ongoing investigation. And I also spoke to the neighbor, the next door neighbor, who said she was the one who called 311. She made the complaints. She said she was just concerned for her safety because of noticing all of the e-bikes that were parked uh, next door to her property. Now, we're being told this all started with FDNY inspectors looking into that complaint made by that next-door neighbor about multiple e-bike batteries uh, found near the side of the home. And the landlord confirming for us, yes, in fact, he had 74 migrants sleeping in shifts, sleeping in bunk beds, uh, sleeping in the basement of this property. He said uh, he felt bad for these migrants, most of them from Africa, who were trying to make a living out here and not, not being found any shelter here. Now, officials started asking questions, and they discovered as many as 80 migrants, but we're being told right now that number is 74. They were sleeping in shifts in the basement of this home. The fire department has issued a full vacate order. That is a report from NBC News about 74 illegal aliens sleeping in shifts in uh, the basement of, I believe it was a furniture store or a house connected to a furniture store. And this is absolutely crazy, but this is what's happening. These are the living conditions. Uh, people that I know that are in and out of the city are uh, reporting the same thing. My buddy Curtis Sliwa, he put some videos on his uh, social media. And you're, you're literally, this is like uh, a few years back when, um, when the homeless crisis was crazy. But those were at least New Yorkers, homeless New Yorkers. Now you've got homeless foreigners that are sleeping on the subway, sleeping on the ground. It's absolute insanity. And the rest of them are sleeping in hotels funded by you, the taxpayer. But it gets worse because some of these folks makes their, make their way across the country and they're committing crimes. I'm not saying every last one of them is a, is a criminal, but there's definitely a number of them that are because we're seeing women get killed. Leak and Riley in Georgia. 
Uh, now you got Georgians screaming at the police chief to uh, resign because they're not releasing the 911 tape, and this poor girl lost her life. And as you guys know, I have a 22-year-old daughter who lives on a college campus. And, and you know, this is just absolutely insane. A 14-year-old kid also um, uh, raped and murdered. I mean, th- this is just absolutely out of control. And I want to get an update on what's going on because we're on the eve of a visit from both Joe El Baboso Biden and Donaldus Magnus El Trompito uh, to the border. Uh, these dueling visits, I'm, I'm guessing Trump is going to troll Biden as best he can. And uh, good for him for doing it. But this is... Um, High time, right? It's high time that that Biden does something, says something. Uh, I'm I'm actually impressed that he's actually going. We'll see if he um, comes through with it. But I want to get a sense of what's going on from the former chief at immigration, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, Rob Law. He's with America First Policy Institute now, and he's our guest tonight. Rob Law, welcome. Hey, good evening. It's so good to be with you tonight. You bet. Thanks for being here and staying up late. So we hear about these migrants that are sleeping in the basement. We hear about migrants that are committing crimes. And it it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. A lot of times people say it gets worse before it gets better. But I don't know that I see any better in sight but for the election of Donald Trump, who seems to be the only politician, period, on any side of the aisle that seems to be running for president and talking about this important issue. Rob Law, what say you? Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, for three years, we have had an ongoing historic humanitarian security crisis at our southern border. Uh, this administration, for the better part of that time, has lied to the American people and said, oh, the border is secure. Uh, we have everything under control. There's nothing to see here. Maybe it's a challenge, but it's certainly not a crisis. And then uh, just a couple of weeks ago, they finally say, oh, well, maybe it is a crisis, but they still refuse to change their policies. And so everything that is going on, whether it is the record number of fentanyl that is being smuggled across the border that's killing a generation of Americans, whether it's the criminal element, the MS-13 or the Venezuelan gang, whether it's illegal aliens that are coming here to take American jobs, every single one of those situations is the direct result of the Biden administration's intentional policies. Uh, They took 94, 94 executive actions in the first 100 days to completely dismantle the border security and immigration apparatus that President Trump had put in place. Uh, And unfortunately, there seems to be no end in sight at this point. You know, Rob Law, this is very disheartening. And you look at this and you think, oh, my gosh, you know, I mean, of course, you can send thoughts, prayers and condolences to the family of these these kids that are being killed uh, by the criminal aliens. But ultimately, this is a, a problem that I think most people feel like their hands are tied. They can't do anything about it. They don't know how to solve this problem. All most of us can do is vote come November. But between now and then, it seems like America continues uh, to be pummeled by illegal immigration and Joe Biden's policies. And it, it, it feels like a losing scenario. What words of encouragement or advice do you have for the Americans that are listening that feel like uh, they're at their wit's end? Well, it certainly is demoralizing, and, and especially this current situation with what's happened to the Lake and Riley. It's just, it's just absolutely devastating. And, it, and it's really a, a clear example of the complete failure of the progressive left. It's not just the open border policies that allowed this guy to come in, make a bogus asylum claim, be released into the country, but then it moved on to the soft on crime approach where he committed crimes in New York City. And instead of them telling 
Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Hey, we've got an illegal alien who's committing crimes here. Maybe you should come get him. They just didn't even bother. They cut him loose. That gave him the opportunity to go down to Georgia. Athens is a sanctuary city. Many people don't know that. He was doing shoplifting, doing other things, and they weren't charging him. They weren't alerting ICE. And then that allowed it to escalate to, um, you know, this most recent thing where he killed Lake and Riley in a really brutal fashion. And, and so it's easy to be demoralized. But, you know, the American people have, have said enough is enough. Of course, November is a key opportunity to really uh, express that. But in the meantime, Hold your state and local officials accountable. Hold your lawmakers accountable. If you live in a sanctuary jurisdiction, say enough is enough. You need to end these policies. The only thing that sanctuary cities protect are criminal, illegal aliens. They are dangerous and they are unlawful. Uh, and, and so places, you, you know the obvious ones, New York, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco. But I bet people didn't know that Athens, Georgia, is itself a sanctuary city. Um, encourage your state governors to get involved in the various lawsuits that Texas has really been leading the charge in uh, to stop some of these harmful uh, Biden border policies. So there are avenues that people can do today um, leading up to November. Folks, we're on with Rob Law, former chief of policy at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Uh, chief, when when we look at these things like these uh, stats that we've got, coming out of uh, Venezuela. They're at a 22-year low because uh, all of the people that were doing all the bad stuff are all here. And and honestly, I think th this is really, I mean, I I've never seen a headline like this one, right? So um, we're about 30 seconds away from taking a pause, so I, I just want to set this up so we can uh, resume when we come back. But the homicide rate is the lowest in 22 years because all the gangs, or a good majority of these gangs, have migrated to the U.S. And it makes all the sense in the world to me, Chief, that if I'm running a country and I know I've got a criminal element and I've got a country like America, the United States, that's saying, hey, we'll take them. Why wouldn't I get rid of my guys? I would say, hey, what do you need, an airline ticket? What do you need, uh, eight grand for your coyote at the border? I, I got you. You know, if that's all it takes to fix the problem. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. And it's something that President Trump warned us about when he was candidate Trump back in 2015. So I want to get your take on that and a couple of other things. Folks, we're coming right back with Chief Rob Law. Don't go anywhere. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
is Rich Valdez. So the numbers are shocking. This is a report according to uh, hotair.com. Actually, in how high they remain and how much they've fallen. Listen to this, more than a 25% drop in about a year, according to the Venezuela Violent uh, Violence Observatory. Suicides are up, which is not good news either, right? And look at this. Violent deaths fall to a 22-year low due to immigration. That's Bloomberg, Bloomberg News. When you look at all of this, and you see that the, the rate of violent deaths is dropping to the lowest level in more than two decades because the migration of criminals out of Venezuela and into the United States is just, it's crazy to me. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm stuttering because I'm, I'm just shocked. I've never seen anything like this in, in my lifetime, and I'm 45 years old. Uh, we're going to go back to our guest, former chief of policy at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, Rob Law. He's with the America First Policy Institute. Chief, have you seen anything like this during your tenure as chief? Uh, so not in my tenure, but this is really the playbook of, of Cuba under Castro many decades ago, where you basically mm. empty your jails and you, and you send them to the United States and you try to create uh, disruption and chaos. And that's exactly what you have happening here. Uh, and this is all part of the three-year failure of this administration uh, to secure the border. And so with the numbers as high as they are, month after month after month, the Biden administration is allowing in unvetted illegal aliens. And when you don't know who people are, all of a sudden you say, oh, they don't have a criminal record. Well, you don't know that because you didn't actually run their fingerprints. You didn't run any sort of biometric check on them. And now we're starting to see all this manifest in example after example after example. Over the last week alone, there's been at least four or five high-profile instances of Americans, innocent Americans, who are either being killed, raped, other horrible crimes happening to them as a result of a criminal element, many from Venezuela, some from other parts of the world as, as well. Um, so this is this is exactly what's happening. This is the complete opposite approach from the Trump administration, which was we're not going to let you in until we figure out who you are. The Biden administration says we're going to let you in and we'll eventually figure out who you are. And the American people are paying the price because of that. Now, Chief, uh, you're obviously not uh, chief anymore. But if you were, what would you tell our commander in chief, Joe Biden? Uh, how should he be handling this? Well, first off, he should apologize in, uh, directly to uh, Lake and Riley's family, among others. He was out there today giving a speech on public safety and failed to mention this at all, which I think was absolutely shameful. Uh, but beyond that, he needs to drop this shtick that he needs Congress uh, to send him new legislation in order to fix his problem. These are his failed policies. They have all the authority they need to secure the border. And so I would say issue an executive order immediately that reinstates every single one of the Trump administration policies that you undid in your first 100 days. You used to brag about it. It was fashionable early on. Look at how we're erasing the legacy of Donald Trump. Now they realize, oh, the American people miss those policies. They miss having safe communities. They miss having a secure border. Uh, and they're trying to cover their tracks for political purposes, not because they actually seem to care. And people don't want their daughters raped, killed, or otherwise uh, attacked. And I, th I think uh, this is really going to bode very poorly for Biden. And I, all the polling that I look at from a political perspective, 
Uh, it shows that Biden is very weak on the immigration issue. And what's interesting to me is that it has now surpassed the economy and inflation when we look at what's important to voters. So I, I can only imagine that if if Biden doesn't go to the border tomorrow and give a, a, a speech where he sounds identical to Trump saying, you know, we're going to shut this thing down and we're going to implement Title 42. And we're going to, you know, just everything that he did remain in Mexico and and, and really give this uh, Trumpian speech. Uh, I, I don't see how he goes up in the polls. Do you, do you foresee Biden taking any last minute, last ditch uh, measures to to actually secure the border before the election? No, I actually think it's going to backfire spectacularly tomorrow. Um, he's going to Brownsville, Texas, which is in the Rio Grande Valley sector uh, in Texas. Uh, that is right now where very few illegal aliens are coming. And so he's going to go down there and you're going to see some of the most secure parts of our southern border. And that's not thanks to Biden administration policies. That's thanks to Governor Abbott in the state of Texas doing things that the Biden right. administration has gone to court to try to stop. Uh, and I think that you're going to see these optics that say, oh, look, there's nothing to see here. There's no problems. It's being manufactured. Um, and I think anything that is said is going to just fall on, on deaf ears. And I think this is a strategic mistake. They clearly scrambled to do this trip after President Trump had already said that he was going to the border to a part where you actually have thousands pouring over every single day. Um, so I think this is going to just expose the fact that they are not taking this seriously and they're just trying to get enough coverage uh, to, to pull him across the finish line in November. But I think the American people have finally started to, to wake up and realize what has been going on. I agree with you. And, and if there's one thing I think that um, we all know, and I think Biden definitely knows, is that he's not very sharp like he used to be. He's not as witty as he used to be. And Trump is. And, you know, uh, from any perspective, whether it's a business deal, a stand up comedy show, uh, I think Trump can hang with the with the best of them. Give a speech for two hours in these rallies that he does. He, he's got a lot of energy and and Biden can't match that. So I just think it's it's odd that he would go to where Trump is going to be and, and try to outdo him when I mean, you know, Trump is literally P.T. Barnum, right? He's, he's going to outdo Biden. He's going to be at the worst part of the border. He's going to have the best optics. He's going to really show the American people what's going on there. And I think Biden's going to try and compete with that. And I think you're right. I think it's going to fail miserably. Uh, Chief, stick with us. I want to come back uh, to you and discuss how some illegal aliens are now showing up at city council meetings uh, demanding that they get more free services. And obviously this trickles down from uh, Washington, who's funding the majority of this, funding the NGOs that are helping with the trafficking, funding everything. And that funding comes from your pocket, my pocket, and the pocket of every listener of this program. So uh, stick with me, folks. We're on with uh, Chief Rob Law, former uh, chief of policy at USCIS. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night 
with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Seattle City Council disrupted as asylum seekers and their supporters once again pleaded for support. Council President Sarah Nelson saying there are limited resources here. I don't really want to participate in in the, a conversation that should be had with uh, county leaders, state leaders, federal leaders. Council ultimately took a break from the meeting in the middle of chants from protesters yelling on behalf of the refugees. At one point, Councilmember Kathy Moore requested that SPD take action. We request that we have police response. Uh, our physical safety is being threatened by the actions of the demonstrators outside banging on the windows. Eventually, arrests were made. It's the second time in two months that the group from Latin America has called upon Seattle leaders to fund their temporary housing. Refugees have been living in different area hotels, most recently this one in Kent. That stay was funded by Seattle taxpayers. So, folks, again, we... Um are back with our guest, Rob Law, former chief of policy at USCIS, Citizenship and Immigration Services. And, Chief, when, when you hear that, I'm floored by it. I, I just put myself in their shoes and think, you know, let me go to Venezuela. Let me go to Colombia. Let me go to some other country where I wouldn't mind living because it's beautiful and it's great, uh, you know, great scenery. And I'm going to go there and relocate there and then just start banging on you know, the, the council uh, chambers and say, excuse me, I want you to pay for my apartment. I want you to pay for, for my bill. I, I just, I, I the, the gall of these people. Um, but it, it's not just there, right? This is a problem that stems from Washington. What say you? Oh, yeah. Well, first off, in your, your hypothetical, good luck with that. I don't think it's going to end up very well for you if you right. start demanding things, you know, illegally in another country. Um, no, but this is the level of entitlement from these illegal aliens. Now, you know, the reports always call them asylum seekers. That doesn't really mean anything. Uh, you know, you raise a couple of buzzwords, which they're coached by the cartels, the smugglers, and even these NGOs with our taxpayer dollars. Um, 90% of these claims are completely bogus. Uh, but they've overwhelmed the system, and under Biden policies, they're allowed into the United States for, for years on end. And, and, and so now with that, they suddenly feel entitled to just all of the freebies. And, of course, as you know, your listeners know, there's nothing free. Our taxpayer dollars are, are paying for it. Right. And so this is just not the behavior of people who are fleeing persecution, and that's what asylum is supposed to be about. Uh, these are people who are opportunistic and they are trying to take advantage of our system. Uh, it's really the epitome of America last policies. And, and American people, there are so many disadvantaged Americans. You have veterans who served honorably that are you know, having trouble you know, post you know, returning from, from battle. You have other Americans that are suffering under other Biden administration policies that don't seem to have a voice or an opportunity to get services that they need uh, because everything is being diverted to this new priority of the left, which is illegal aliens. It's absolutely baffling. It is. And Rob Law, when we, we look at this, and again, we, we, we look to the future for, for some sort of remedy, but I feel like people right now are, are starting to realize that this is going to be a pretty massive undertaking to fix. It doesn't matter how aggressive one may want to approach this uh, with uh, deportation, et cetera. I think, and you tell me if I'm wrong based on your experience, but 
not only do we have to go back to the policies that actually did secure the border, uh, remain in Mexico policy, uh, ending catch and release, and, and you know, fortifying uh, the, the, the physical barriers at the border, but I think we also, um, if we even tried to attempt to deport 7 million people who we can barely find, uh, what would that look like? I've seen videos of NYPD trying to effectuate an arrest on one person in that Randall's Island uh, uh, prison. It looks like a prison. It's uh, what they call a, uh, a tent city. And and it, it takes six or seven cops to get one guy uh, into handcuffs. What would massive deportation even look like? And is it possible? So it's certainly possible. It will be challenging. So I, I don't mean to diminish the reality of that. And I think that's part of what the last three years have have been all about, which is completely overwhelming the system where you Mm -hmm. just want to give up and say, oh, you can just have amnesty and we'll just reset the the scale. Um, But really what it means is, first off, just let Immigration and Customs Enforcement ICE, let them do their job. Right now, they're basically chained to their desks, not allowed to, to touch anybody, not allowed to deport anybody. You start to free them up. These guys are experts. They know what to do. Um, And and that'll start. You create strategic partnerships with state and local law enforcement officials, treat them as a force multiplier instead of an antagonist the way the Biden administration has. You can basically deputize them to assist in the deportation efforts. Uh, It's going to take a whole of government approach. You know, you can use military bases uh, as temporary housing facilities to put illegal aliens there, get the get the flights and then get them out of here. And frankly, part of it is just optics. You know, have a camera crew. You show, you know, a group of them getting rounded up, getting on a plane and then landing in their home country. And then that's going to send a signal both in to those who are here in the country and those that are thinking about coming there are actually going to be consequences, and it's not going to be worth it anymore. Uh, you'll have some element that will remove themselves, wanting to avoid all of that. Uh, but again, there, it, it will take a multi-pronged approach to do it. Uh, it is definitely doable, um, and, and this administration just isn't even trying. And, and so anything will be a step in the right direction from what the current status quo is. Yeah. Now, Rob Law. In the time we have remaining, I want you to make sure you let everybody know how they could follow you and find the work that you're doing at AFPI. Sure. Um, so, you know, you can find a lot of our policy papers at uh, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. You can find myself on, I still call it Twitter. I, I'm, I was late to the game on that, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little late to calling it X, but I'm at uh, the underscore Rob Law. Um, the America First Policy Institute's handle is at a the number one policy, and then um, our sort of head honcho Chad Wolf, the former acting secretary of DHS, his handle is at Chad F Wolf, um, and then so we're, we try to be pretty active there, responding to both the media claims, administration claims, you know, helping amplify our work product as, as well. So those are all great avenues to to find what we're up to, um, and you know, we're trying to be a leading voice out there on advancing policies that put the American people first. Well, outstanding, sir. You are a a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I thank you for um, clearing things up and uh, explaining how a mass deportation like that would work. And I think you're right. Once uh, there's some video going out there and CNN is calling it a human rights abuse and comparing, uh, you know, who I assume, uh, presume that Trump will be president, then comparing him um, to to, – past presidents with Japanese internment camps and whatnot. 
But after the the persecution from the media, I think the the actual coyotes, the cartels, and and those you know asylum seekers, quote unquote, uh, they're going to see that and say, you know what, this is a pain in the butt. It's not worth it. And, and I think it's it stems the tide. And then it's just a question of you know starting with the criminal aliens and working your way from there. Uh, Rob Law, thank you, sir, for again for your insight. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You bet, folks. We continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So we're talking about immigration, and tomorrow is the big day with the the showdown. We've got this showdown, Trump and Biden at the border. Biden's at the pseudo border. Trump will likely be, you know, with one foot in Mexico, if, if, you know, if we know how Trump is, right in front of the wall. Big, beautiful wall, made the wall, huge, huge wall. I, I can't, I, I'm looking forward to it. But despite the, the dueling um, border visits and speeches, <clears throat> There's still a lot going on, right? You got uh, Mayor Kelly uh, Gertz. She's from, she's the mayor of Athens, uh, where they are a sanctuary city. And, you know, she tries to say that immigration and crime are not connected. And, uh, excuse me, uh, he, Kelly, I, uh, I I have misgendered him. S- somebody call security. And um, Mayor Kelly Gertz again um, at this press conference today discussing uh, the, the murder of Lake and Riley, 22-year-old uh, University of Georgia student that was killed by an illegal alien. And the people are screaming at the mayor to resign. And I want you to hear this. Check it I've out. received many calls, many emails, many queries from the press in recent days about this notion of a sanctuary city. And so I want to lay some things to rest here today. This term sanctuary city doesn't have a sole legal or procedural definition. You can look in Georgia statute and you can find a clear definition for a unified government. You can look in contractual language and you can find out exactly what it means to be an SEC institution. Sanctuary city doesn't track with either of those. And so that term means different things to different people, depending on the context of the discussion. Uh, we know what Many, it means. Many of the elements, many of the elements, we're here to listen, we're here to listen, it'll be time for questions. You are guilty and got blood on your head. What do you think? I think uh, Kelly Gertz, I think Joe Biden, I I would love to see those people meet with Joe Biden because I think they're saying the right stuff, right? I mean, ultimately, this is where we are. Joe Biden is is in uh, hot water with a lot of people. If that's what the mayor's getting for allowing his city to be a sanctuary city, imagine what Joe Biden's going to get on Election Day for allowing the United States to be a sanctuary country. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Anyway, we continue our conversation straight ahead with the attack on parental rights and so much more that's at stake with the attack on our children. And uh, I want to go over that with you guys. So stick around. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. And again, we're coming right back. Hour number two. Don't miss it. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you this uh, Wednesday night, hour number two of our program. If you're joining us uh, coast-to-coast and you want to join the late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there is... um, some news out there. Uh, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the uh, Trump immunity case, uh, the appeal for it. Uh, that's likely going to delay the January 6th trial until after the 2024 election, uh, which is uh, good news for, for Trump uh, and obviously good news for America because this is, uh, in my opinion and, and many others, uh, election interference by um the federal government interfering in the election with this prosecution that they should have either brought years ago or waited until afterwards, but not in the middle of a campaign. So, uh, good, good on them for that. <clears throat> then we've got Mitch McConnell, Mitch the Turtle McConnell. He's uh, he's stepping down in November as leader. Uh, he'll remain a U.S. senator, but he's gonna you know try to control somebody else as leader, and I'm sure he will. Uh, McConnell's ruthless when it comes to, you know, controlling people in the Senate. And uh, he also told Speaker Johnson today that Ukraine funding is more important than fixing the border. Uh, These guys are hooked on cash and spending. It's just crazy what goes on in Washington. And uh, something we mentioned a little bit earlier, the homicide rate in Venezuela has dropped more than 25 percent to a 22 year low as most of their gangs have migrated here to the United States. And that's why they're not killing people in Venezuela because they're killing them here. And uh, that's a sad truth that we've been dealing with. And there's also a, a story out of Indiana that I want to share with you. Uh, this couple appealed to the Supreme Court after their child was removed from their home over a gender identity dispute. And this is crazy, in my opinion, Uh, This couple happens to identify as Catholic and they are now asking the uh, Supreme Court to hold the state accountable for keeping their child out of their home after they declined to use his chosen uh, pronouns and names. Uh, Listen, I would do the same exact thing. Uh, You know, my kids have their names given names by their mother and I. And if they said, no, you got to call me whatever, I'd say, no, (laughs) I'm not calling you anything that I don't want to call you. I'm going to call you, you know, you don't police my speech. And I would get into that with them. But uh, these parents are now um, suing the Indiana Department of Child Services. And I want to get uh, an expert take on this because we have our guest, Laurie Gimmelstein, uh, Gimmelstein, excuse me, Gimmelstein is how it's pronounced here. Forgive me. The founder of the Parents Action Network in Colorado. And she's with us. Laurie, welcome. Hi, Rich. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come on your show this evening. Thank you for being here, uh, because I think this is important. I think, you know, a lot of people listening right now in different states, they're thinking, 
oh, what does it, Indiana have to do with me? I think the reality is they test things like this usually in New Jersey, New York, California, but we're seeing it in different states. It's popping up where people are trying to take their kids away if we don't honor their um, their decision to to be uh, emancipated adults and make all sorts of decisions for themselves, even though they're still under their parents' custody. And uh, th- this is a, a story that I find troubling, but also really important for Americans to hear. Tell us more about it. Yeah, so um, like you said, I'm the executive director of the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network. Your listeners can check us out at coloradoparents.org. And you're so right. You you bring up such a good point. You know, usually they, they're doing test cases here and there, but we're seeing practices of this gender-affirming care model happening across the country and internationally. Um, and what's happening is it's coming into our school systems first, uh, where we see school districts uh, that have adopted practices. And I, I use the word practices um, intentionally because it's not necessarily a policy. And uh, in Colorado, for example, one of the nation's largest school districts, the Cherry Creek School District, serves over 54,000 students, happens to be the school district that I live in and intentionally moved to back in 2011, unfortunately. Um, but they hide gender transitions from the parents. So they create uh, this environment where children are, are taught to, to keep secrets from their kids. There's posters in the hallways in elementary, middle, and high schools across mm. the state of Colorado that say things like, my parents are great in all big letters. And then in small print at pointing out my, my deficiencies. Wow. At pointing now, out was, my this, was this part of what, what happened with the Indiana case where they took the kid mm-hmm. away? Were they doing something um, similar so, there? So, yeah. So in the state of Colorado, uh, policy is being passed. Um, it started back in 2019. And I encourage your listeners to really engage with what's happening at their state capitol and what their legislators are doing. Because I, I think that they're, my friend Alvin Louie with Courage is a Habit, he says they're using our vocabulary, but not our dictionary. And they're weaponizing our kindness. And I think that uh, more and more people, I think the culture is shifting. People are seeing what's actually happening. You know, so you might have a representative that, that tells his or her constituents, you know, I'm, a, a, I'm for freedom. I'm for family. I'm for faith. And they're doing the exact opposite. You know, and you can see that by their votes. And uh, in Colorado, we have numerous. Um, bills that have been put into legislation. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I, I'm trying to stay on track with this Indiana case. Yeah. Uh, could, could you tell us a little bit more about how the Supreme Court is intervening with this removal of a child from the home? So with the Indiana case uh, where they took the child from the home, I think that what is likely going to happen um, is that will you know, be heard. They, I don't know the exact legislation in Indiana as much as I do in the state of Colorado. Um, but there, we're seeing this happen in multiple states. We're seeing it in, in Montana. We're seeing it in Indiana. We're seeing it in Chicago. Um, in Chicago, Jeanette Cooper, uh, her daughter was taken away in 2019. She has started an organization called Partners for Ethical Care. So it's, it's happening across the nation. All right, folks, we are on with Lori Gimmelstein uh, from the Colorado Parents Action Network, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. kids in a public school. My partner is a public middle school teacher. They were moving some tables and chairs around with their class. My partner goes, okay, I need some big strong boys to help me move these tables. You, 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 and you. And picked the trans kids, picked the trans boys in the class. Are these big kids? No. Are they necessarily strong? Not really. But the looks on their faces to have their teacher just like casually affirm their gender and to be like, hey, I need some boys to move some tables. You, you are a boy. Please come move this table. It gives me chills every time. That is a, a public school teacher talking about one of their colleagues and how they're praising their colleague for calling the trans boys boys and having them move furniture, as you heard. And we, we've heard about how some school districts in Colorado are hiding gender transitions from their parents. We've heard about how uh, the state of Indiana is using child protective services to take children out of the home for parents that aren't honoring what the child says are its uh, preferred pronouns. And now we've got the organization known as GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. And their organization is now lashing out against the journalist for reporting on a new study that found that sex changes for minors are not life-saving in the least. And I, I want to get a reaction to this from Lori Gimmelstein. She's uh, the founder of the Colorado Parents Action Network. And Lori, what's your take? Uh, does this surprise you at all? It doesn't surprise me to see that Toni Morrison, you know, lashed out at Benjamin Ryan for reporting this this information that that is true. Um, we we see this this strategy and this tactic happen in every arena where they immediately go on to the attack and they try to discredit somebody uh, really through verbal abuse. Um, and uh, I I don't find it shocking. I think that we're seeing more and more of it. But what is so encouraging is that this strategy is is losing ground and the culture is shifting and more and more people are coming into an awareness that they they really should be questioning when they're being told that someone is uh, providing you know junk science i think as tony morrison said um mm-hmm. and you know we i think the culture is shifting and it's terrible that gladys is not looking at the science and you know, th- when you think of everything, it really comes down to the money that is invested in all of this. And today in Colorado, we actually had a roundtable discussion with our legislators and Chloe Cole, who is a just a vibrant and beautiful teenager who has detransitioned, joined us. Um, at, and she, her emotional testimony, uh, her personal testimony of the harms of starting on hormone blockers at the age of 13 having a double mastectomy at the age of 15 and coming to the realization of regret at such a young age and the harm that she has incurred to her physical body, you know, not being able to nurse her children if she's even able to have children. Um, And she was able to share how this gender affirming care model is just so harmful um, and we see that in multiple states, um, you know, in, in where 
the gender affirming model is the model in the state of Colorado. Uh, our psychologists and psychiatrists are not are required to uh, perform gender affirming care. So there's not even an exploration of are you depressed? Are you experiencing anxiety? Are these normal developmental changes that you're going through? It is if a child comes in and says, I believe I'm the other gender, we will affirm that and we will move forward. Oftentimes within within days of their, the child will be on hormone blockers. How do you see an end uh, coming to this? Do you see an end in sight for this type of uh, what they like to call gender affirming care? You know, I think the harms are, are coming to light. More and more studies are, are being completed by great organizations. GenSpect is a really reputable organization that's really putting a lot of um, great uh, focus on the research being done. And, you know, honestly, we're getting so much just personal testimony, this anecdotal evidence of harm from people that have transitioned and are now detransitioning. I think there's so many people that are, are that are in this, this moment of deep regret. Um, and people like Chloe Cole give such hope to people, um, especially not only to the person that may have transitioned and is now detransitioning, but to the parents. The parents, their, their rights have been undermined for so long. Uh, the right to just guide their child when their child is going through uh, difficult development, um, really helping their child to be resilient, um, to, to love themselves. And uh, the undermining through the medical community, the psychiatric community, uh, and just the media, social media, um, really puts parents in a corner where they, they feel like they can't make a decision. They're told things like, uh, it's, it's better to have a transgender son than a dead daughter. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, my gosh, when you know your child's in distress, right? You, you're bringing your child to this professional that you should be able to have trust in. And they're telling you that the only solution is to affirm this gender. And um, legislation's passing everywhere. So, you know, go back to the case with the Indiana family whose child was removed and our, their religious freedoms are being violated. And in the state of Colorado, legislation is being proposed that will require all of our foster parents in the state of Colorado to be gender affirming. And so all of our, our foster parents, our great foster parents who are Catholic and Christian, they're not going to be able to be gender affirming. And one can make the argument to, that, that that's being done just to push uh, these uh, religious, quote unquote, zealots out of the pool of potential foster parents. You're right. I agree with you, Rich. I, I just see this huge government overtake of, of what's happening. You know, this country was founded on limited government and personal responsibility and uh, the, the, these big governments are just coming in, in in states like Colorado, and they're just passing legislation that is just absurd. Um, it's, it's not even rational. Uh, we have a, a bill, uh, House Bill 24-1039, being put forth by Representative Vigil um, that will literally make it discrimination if a public school and a charter school do not uh, gender affirm a child by by con- making sure that they're called their chosen name and chosen pronouns, and it stipulates that they can hide that from the parents. So Crazy. this practice that, that is happening has already passed through the House and is on the Senate floor, 
And um, it's, it's very alarming. Uh, another really important thing that people should pay attention to is what their state is doing with mental health. Um, and in the state of Colorado, they redefine child. Um, so a 12-year-old and up is now called a youth. And so youth can give consent uh, without their parents' knowledge or involvement or their parents' consent to wow. uh, participate in mental health treatment. Yeah. Let me it's, ask it's, you a question on that front that you may or may not know the answer to. But uh, mm -hmm. it's been suggested by uh, previous guests on this program that ultimately there's a big push and a lot of support for for gender affirming care and this redefinition of what a youth is, because there is a a underlying effort to normalize pedophilia or what they're renaming as minor attracted persons. Are you seeing this or hearing any of that? Yes, it's this is rampant in the state of Colorado. Um, we recently um, had legislation um, where it was actually nicknamed Tierra's Law. And uh, what it would allow is felons who are transgender um, to legally change their name and pronouns. Um, and it, what that does is it kind of hides their past convictions. And uh, we, I absolutely do see the, the normalization of violent sexual activity through um, material that our kids are receiving in schools, the books that they're being required to read, everything is being normalized. We have comprehensive sex education, which is legislation that requires any public school district that teaches reproductive health to teach comprehensive sex ed. And so we're talking about nine-year-olds learning about topics that are very mature um, and, and too mature for their young developing minds to wrap their heads around. Uh, they now put boys and girls in the same comprehensive sex ed class because gender is fluid and a boy might become a girl and a girl might become a boy. This is real. We have actual curriculum that we have uh, received through FOIA requests. We've received from teachers. Teachers don't want to be doing this. It's the activists that do. Wow. Lori Gimmelstein, Executive Director of the Colorado Parents Action Network. I want to thank you for being with us. You are a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I appreciate you staying late with us tonight. Folks, we're coming right back with your calls and more. Plus, we're going to glean some insight from the leaders of yesteryear, former presidents. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. America. Welcome back. And as we look at what's going on in current events, we see so many issues where it seems like there's a lack of leadership, whether it's uh, who I like to call Joe El Baboso Biden in the White House and the mistakes or sabotage, however you want to look at it, that he's uh, committing. Uh, I think he could use a few lessons on the leadership of past presidents. And Talmadge Boston has written a book with John Avalon. And it's called How the Best Did It, Leadership Lessons from Our Top Presidents. And I think it's always good, whether you like these presidents or not, you can learn from them. And there's always value in speaking with somebody who's gone before you. And I, speaking of, you know, like George Washington, for example, I remember reading a book on George Washington 
um, many years ago. And it, it chronicled so much of Washington's life and things that he'd written uh, from the age of 12 and forward, whether they were prayers or, or just um, musings on life. And it was really, really well done, and it was really, really interesting to see. Uh, Lincoln was another one that had some just really great things to say. And, and ultimately, I think they all do because of the unique uh, position that they're put in as commander-in-chief. So I want to bring um, Tal- Talmadge Boston into the conversation to talk about his new book that's coming out uh, April 2nd, and it's called How the Best Did It, Leadership Lessons from Our Top Presidents. Talmadge Boston, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks, Rich. Glad, glad to be on your program. Thank you. Let's, um, let's, I guess, start from the top. I mentioned George Washington. Um, what can you tell us um, about Washington and, um, you know, what folks can look forward to learning about Washington when they buy your book? Well, Washington uh, stands alone at being a, having people uh, support him. Uh, he was unanimously chosen to lead our colonial army during the Revolutionary War. He was unanimously chosen to lead the Constitutional Convention. He was unanimously chosen to be our first president, both for his first term and then unanimously for his second term. So he really had no opponents or, or adversaries. Everybody supported him, uh, which obviously is a unique situation in American history. But he obviously had a lot of things going for him to, to be in that position where everyone would support him. Uh, he was a great unifier. Uh, he was a man of the highest integrity. Famously, the cherry tree fable never told a lie, but it was true. He was a person of total integrity, a total credibility. Uh, people knew that whatever George Washington said, they could take it to the bank. Uh, and, and so these are some of the uh, traits that he had that, that never go out of tr- style or, or timeless and traits that we need our political leaders today to adhere to as much as uh, we needed them in George Washington's day. Talmadge Boston, what was it that went through your mind? Uh, what was the impetus for writing a book about the leadership of, of, our, of our nation, our presidents, and, and what we could learn from them? Well, all of these great presidents in my book, uh, Profile 8, Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, both Roosevelt's, Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Reagan, they were all human beings, but they were all great leaders, and they were all great leaders in, in different ways. They had different styles of communication, persuasion, uh, but uh, what they did and how they did it and having the success they did are things that anybody uh can, can put into effect in his or her own uh, career. And so the target audience for our book is anybody who is or aspires to be a leader or for someone who's already a leader, someone who aspires to be a better leader. Uh, so that's uh, the focus of the book is these are the greatest leaders in American history. We know generally their stories, but we don't know the specifics of what it was that made them great leaders. We don't know, for example, Thomas Jefferson, a master of working across the aisle, a master of working, of building consensus, because he was able to build uh, relationships by steady socializing and, and, and building rapport over the course of his eight-year presidency. Lincoln, we forget about his magnanimity, uh, the attitude he had toward his Union generals, who at the outset of the war were insulting to him. They didn't think he knew anything about how to run a war. 
and they came around and realized he was the smartest of them all. Uh, his magnanimity toward Union soldiers who deserted very uh, favorable toward pardoning them and letting them go on with their lives. Uh, obviously, uh, magnanimity toward his team of rivals cabinet, people who had run against him, people who were in some ways his enemies, and yet he wants the smartest people around him to give him the best advice. So these are the kinds of things that I think all leaders need to be thinking about. And, and at the end of every one of my chapters, I have a series of questions for the reader to ask him or herself, how am I doing in unifying? How am I doing in my integrity? How am I doing in building consensus across the aisle? So forth through each of the eight chapters on the eight presidents. How did you come up with uh, eight presidents? How did you, I guess, dwindle them down from you know all the options that we have? Well, every time that one president leaves the White House and another one comes in, the 150 leading historians in America participate in a presidential ranking poll that's organized by the C-SPAN uh, television network. They've been doing it for my entire lifetime. And uh, in 2017, when Obama left the White House and Trump came in, and 2021, when Trump left the White House and Biden came in, uh, in terms of the top nine, they stayed the same. Number one, Lincoln. Two, Washington. Three, Franklin Roosevelt. Four, Theodore Roosevelt. Five, Eisenhower. Six, Truman. Seven, Jefferson. Eight, Kennedy. And nine, Reagan. I made the decision to, uh, I think, Truman is overrated. I think Reagan is underrated. So the desired length of the book called for eight presidents. And, and so I chose my eight in large part based on the C-SPAN ranking, but with the exception of trading uh, Reagan into my book. And, and because I believe Truman's overrated for getting us into Korea and having no way of getting us out, for being ineffective at dealing with uh, McCarthyism and the Red Scare, and of course Reagan uh, leading us to the end of the Cold War, bringing us out of the Carter doldrums. Uh, that was the basis for my choices of my eight top presidents. Folks, we're on with Talmadge Boston. He's a historian. He's written several books, including the soon-to-be-released How the Best Did It, Leadership Lessons from Our Top Presidents. And we're going to continue uh, our conversation about that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Reagan. He's one of my favorites, and he was president when I was born. That's probably why he's one of my favorites. And uh, we're going to return with him momentarily. Plus, your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. President Ronald Reagan said, Peace is not absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Of course, Reagan, who was famous for saying things like trust but verify or if we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Uh, he's famous for a lot of very witty quotes and, and, and jokes and, and the like. But 
there's a lot more substance to Reagan, and there's a lot more critique to him as well, I'm sure, from, from those um, that weren't fans. But I want to talk about Reagan and how he fits into the book that we're discussing, which is How the Best Did It, Leadership Lessons from Our Top Presidents by Talmadge Boston. He's our guest. He's a historian and attorney. And Talmadge Boston, tell us about your take on Reagan. You mentioned that you felt he was underrated and Truman was overrated. I probably agree with you about Truman. Um, and, and and also with Reagan, I think there there isn't enough um, emphasis put on so much of what I think he has to offer. Um, tell us a little bit about how you included him in your book. Well, uh, I'm 70 years old. Uh, I certainly was uh, paying a lot of attention throughout the Reagan presidency. I was also before he became president during the four years of the disastrous uh, Carter presidency when we had high unemployment, low economic growth, uh, long gas lines. We couldn't rescue the hostages from Iran. We were in a national state of malaise was, was the word, the operative word at the time. And we need somebody to, to come in and remind us we are a great country. We can be a great country. And that was really Reagan's gift, was restoring America's self-confidence. Of course, he greatly improved the economy and ultimately led us to win the Cold War. But in my research on Reagan, uh, what really stood out to me was just this incredible sense of optimism that not only he had personally, but that he inspired the country to have. And uh, he, he was obviously a very gifted speaker. Uh, his his speeches uh, had long-term impact, uh, both uh, in the United States and around the world. But I think uh, I, at least, had never really zeroed in on the key to it all was this natural sense of optimism that uh, caused the country to be restored to, to uh, a state of a, a great economy, a, a great foreign policy. Uh, a wonderful new book came out a year ago called The Peacemaker and talked about how it was peace through strength. Uh, it was the Star Wars that intimidated the Russians. To, they knew they couldn't keep up with it. They could, their economy was collapsing uh, and ultimately was, was a successful negotiating tool. So uh, all those factors together uh, make Reagan stand out as, in my opinion, our last truly great president. And tell me about the, the you, you mentioned some of the defining moments of, of his uh, presidency. What are your thoughts on, I guess, some of the uh, leadership lessons that he was able to leave behind? Well, he was a man of, of conviction uh, at the outset. Uh, he said, what's my strategy for winning the Cold War? We win, they lose. Uh, and people at the time thought he was nuts, that there wasn't any way that he could succeed uh, with that kind of hardline uh, foreign policy. There were many people who were uh, frightened uh, as to what he might do. And Jimmy Carter certainly attempted to portray that in the uh 1980 campaign, but uh, the longer uh, he stayed in office, the more people realized that, no, this guy really does have a plan. Uh, he really does have strength. He really does know how to negotiate. And, uh, and obviously, uh, in the end, he was uh, incredibly successful. And so 
what people overreacted to in terms of their fears proved to be unfounded. Uh, and he really uh, had a, a very successful presidency. During his second term, we passed the 1986 uh, Tax Reform Act, thanks in large part to his Secretary of Treasury, James Baker. And that required not only Republican but Democratic support. And he got it because he was uh, good at uh, negotiating. He famously, James Baker, every time he speaks about Reagan, reminds us that Reagan knew how to compromise, knew that to get what you wanted, sometimes you had to accept getting 80%, but that that was better than nothing. Uh, and so he, he knew how to handle Congress and, and get things done. And, and that was uh, something that was important to him, not just to be spouting words and uh, with the idea that they sounded good, but actually uh, accomplishing things. Folks, we're on with uh, Talmadge Boston. He's the author of the forthcoming book, How the Best Did It, Leadership Lessons from Our Top Presidents. And uh, Talmadge Boston, let everybody know how they can pre-order a book and learn more about the work that you're doing. Well, it's on Amazon and uh, available for pre-order. And uh, it comes out on April 2nd. Uh, I'm scheduled to be on with Brett Baer that night on his show. Uh, the night before, we're doing... Uh, an event at Politics and Prose, the leading independent bookstore in Washington, D.C., where I'll be interviewed by my friend Evan Thomas. We're certainly hoping that C-SPAN's going to cover it. Uh, I'll be speaking all over the country on it, from Mount Vernon to Monticello to the George W. Bush Library to all the leading uh, clubs across the country, from the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, the Headliners Club in Austin, uh, Coronado Club in Houston, Metropolitan Club in D.C., Union Club in New York, University Club in Chicago, and World Affairs Councils all across the country from uh, Louisville to Cincinnati to San Antonio to Philadelphia to Charlotte. So uh, I'm really going to be covering the country from April to May uh, talking about it and and doing a lot of media and uh, in hopes that uh, people will respond to it and be able to learn from it. Uh, for each of my eight chapters, I had two leading biographers of each of the, uh, each president read over and bless and tweak the conclusions I drew about the leadership lessons of these presidents. So the conclusions have been fully vetted. Uh, on my dust jacket, I've got endorsements from three Pulitzer Prize winners, John Meacham, Doris Kearns Goodwin, Annette Gordon-Reed, as well as leading presidential historians, Doug Brinkley, Mark Updegrove. Will M. Bowden, Ronald White, David Stewart. So I feel like uh, it is well vetted uh, and that the conclusions uh, are highly supported throughout the text and that there's a lot to be learned from our greatest presidents. Well, Talmadge, Boston, sir, you um, seem to have nailed it, (laughs) and I wish you the best of luck. It seems like you got a lot ahead of you in sharing the book. Um, Godspeed to you, and thanks for being with us tonight. Rich, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity. You bet. Good luck. And, folks, we're coming right back. Open Phone America is coming right up. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Talking about the wisdom of the president and Senator Tom Cotton spoke at the Reagan Library um, a couple of years ago. And uh, something that he said was, I was too young to follow the political dramas of Reagan's presidency, but I recall the feelings he inspired in my young mind. Confident and safe from the Russian threat. Comforted after the Challenger disaster. Proud of America and optimistic about our future. But Reagan's greatness went beyond the feelings he inspired. Many people talk about President Reagan's optimism. But he wasn't simply an optimistic person. Rather, he helped build a nation that had good reason to be optimistic. No doubt the smile and Hollywood charm helped. But it was his ideas, his patriotism, and his unerring strength that revitalized the American dream. Ronald Reagan stood for what every office holder must remember. We're elected first and foremost to protect the American people, their prosperity, and their freedom. Circumstances have changed since his time, but the truth then is the truth today. The grand old party's objectives remain the same to protect and preserve a proud, strong, safe, and wealthy nation. Yet some believe we've reached a crossroads. One hears a lot these days about the future of the Republican Party. Some can't imagine how the same party that sent both Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump to the White House. How could it be? They contend our party must somehow choose between the legacies of these two men. I disagree. For all their differences in temperament and style, there's a deeper continuity in the beliefs of our 40th and 45th presidents. I could sketch out the similarities with great detail about policies and programs. Instead, I'll illustrate it with a painting. Both presidents adorned the walls of their Oval Office to reflect their own tastes and personalities, but they each chose a painting that was nearly identical. It wasn't a painting of a great battle or a beautiful American landscape. It wasn't even a portrait of a great Republican president. Nope. It was a portrait of a Democrat, a Democrat who Reagan called one of our nation's greatest heroes and who Trump called a hero and a genius. That Democrat was Andrew Jackson. Senator Cotton nailed it. I think he's right. They're not too far off, yet they're vastly different. Anyway, folks, I'll leave it right there for this hour. We're coming right back. Hour number three, open phone America. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Welcome to Hour 3 of the program. 
uh, Wednesday night edition of the show. And if you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, give us a call 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a couple of things I want to cover tonight. We've got Hunter Biden uh, had his closed door deposition today. Uh, some of that was leaked to the media. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we also have Congress passing a short-term spending bill. Woohoo! What a surprise. They've avoided a shutdown, again, for a little bit longer by putting a Band-Aid on the problem. And uh, in Michigan, one of Biden's delegate votes went to someone by the name of, quote, uncommitted. <laughs> he couldn't even secure all of the votes. Anyway, uh, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear uh, Trump's immunity case, the uh, appeal for that, at least, and uh, Biden has issued an executive order limiting the sale of U.S. citizens' information to China. Now, there's a couple other stories I want to get to about fentanyl and and this one about what a guy did to steal somebody's girl. Man, that's a crazy one. We'll talk about that one a little bit. But I want to start with this. Mitch McConnell has announced his retirement from the Senate, and we've got the audio. Listen to this. One of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. So I stand before you today, Mr. President, and my colleagues to say this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. However, I'll complete my job my colleagues have given me until we select a new leader in November and they take the helm next January. I'll finish the job the people of Kentucky hired me to do as well, albeit from a different seat, and I'm actually looking forward to that. Okay, well, that's Mitch the Turtle, Mitch the Turtle McConnell, she's retiring. Uh, not retiring from the Senate, but retiring from his role as leader. And, uh, of course, he's going to pass the baton to somebody that he can meld and mold. And uh, I'm happy. I'm happy. Uh, and in one way or another, we're declawing him a little bit, defanging him a little bit. He's uh, just a little bit less powerful because he's having those freezing episodes and he's just not going to be able to wield the same amount of power because he's got to share it with whoever, you know, he's chosen as his uh, successor. So that's some good news. A little bit uh, less rhino activity. Not a whole lot, but a little bit less rhino activity in the United States Senate. And I can deal with that. But when we switch gears to the House of Representatives, uh, we have the Hunter Biden testimony today behind closed doors. And very interesting stuff has gone on. AOC, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, she weighed in on this. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, also known as All Out Crazy on this program. Um, here's what she had to say. And I think uh, the ranking member stated it completely. Uh, what we just witnessed over the last hour was, I think, a deep sea fishing expedition because the Republican case has completely fallen apart over the last several weeks um, after it's been exposed that that the critical, you know, one of the, their most uh, key pieces of information was based 
on a source that was in communication with Russian intelligence. They are now trying to scramble to find anything um, to substantiate their fairy tale is what we should call this. Um, but I think more disturbingly, what we are seeing is is just a complete uh, and, and inappropriate expedition into uh, the president's son and for matters and subjects that are completely unrelated to an impeachment investigation. And I think it is extremely disturbing to see the lack of professionalism, the lack of grounding, and the abuse of public resources and abuse of, of public power in order to pursue something that truly, uh, whose point at this juncture is very unclear. Now, while AOC used a lot of words to say very little, she basically says that this is a nothing burger, right? Um, Hunter had nothing to do with selling his dad's office and getting money uh, through the door by selling the Biden name. Okay, got it. Well, Hunter Biden testified behind closed doors that he was high or drunk. That's a quote. Uh, while writing the words, sitting here with my father. So that's interesting. And uh, that $5 million um that was written in a text message that appeared to be a shakedown. Well, they still got that money. So let's see. Uh, the first son, Hunter Biden, claimed in congressional testimony Wednesday that he was high or drunk when he wrote to a Chinese associate back in 2017 that he was sitting here with his father shortly before the transfer of $5.1 million into a Biden family-linked account. Hmm. A readout of the uh, first son, who happens to be 54 years old, of his uh, closed-door impeachment inquiry deposition was provided to numerous news outlets Wednesday, uh, citing Hunter Biden's claim that President Biden had nothing to do with the shakedown of Chinese state-linked CEFC China Energy. The readout said that, quote, Hunter admitted that he was high or drunk when he sent the sitting-here-with-my-father WhatsApp text and sent it to the wrong recipient and is now embarrassed by the message. Hmm. This is the same Hunter they said was um, squeaky clean. The whole thing's fake, phony, and fraud. And, of course, um, the laptop was uh, Russian disinformation. Now, the same source said that Hunter, uh, quote, confirmed that his dad was not sitting next to him as photos from the first son's abandoned laptop actually show he was at his dad's Wilmington, Delaware home on the day of that particular uh, call. So, now... A second uh, source now confirms to the New York Post that Hunter Biden gave the excuse that he may have been high at the time of the writing of that message. Since Hunter appeared under subpoena, the testimony technically counted as a more sensitive deposition rather than a typical transcribed interview, increasing the risks to anyone who discussed its content before a formal vote to release the transcript. Now, the WhatsApp um, messaging implicating Joe Biden, was provided to Congress last year by IRS case agent Joseph Ziegler, who, alongside his supervisor, Gary Shapley, alleged that a Justice Department cover-up to protect Joe and Hunter Biden was underway. The IRS agents told Congress that they were not allowed by the Justice Department to get cell phone geolocation data that could have established whether Hunter Biden was indeed sitting with his father and where... Uh, they were repeatedly blocked 
from pursuing the evidence related to Joe Biden. And that's the IRS agents uh, claiming that they weren't allowed to get the evidence. Now, the CEFC deal was one of the most lucrative for the Biden family and uh, prominently includes the first brother, James Biden. In this bombshell testimony last month, former Biden family business partner Rob Walker testified on January 20th that $3 million in funds from CEFC flowed to him in March of 2017, with about a third going to the Bidens. Shortly after Joe Biden and CEFC uh, chairman uh, Yi Jiangming at D.C.'s uh, Four Seasons Hotel, where they had a meeting, Walker said the money dispatched just weeks after Joe Biden uh, left office as vice president was a thank you for preliminary services, uh, sourcing business opportunities. And this dates back to a relationship they started back in 2015. Now, uh, according to a May 2017 email written by Biden family associate uh, James Gillier, uh, written by, quote unquote, the big guy, Joe Biden was cut in for a 10 percent cut in this proposed uh, joint venture with CEFC, according to files from Hunter's abandoned laptop. And this was uh, first reported by the New York Post back in October of 2020. Also in May of 2017, former Biden family business associate Tony Bobolinsky testified that he discussed the CEFC venture twice with Joe Biden. And uh, two months later, Hunter put the Chinese company on notice that the, that he expected them to transfer funds. And after doing so, um, cut out most of his other business partners with the exception, uh, the exception of his uncle James who helped the Chinese firm uh, scout out some natural gas opportunities here in the U.S. Uh, how convenient. So there's more about this readout, and we're going to get to that and your calls momentarily, but I just thought it was really interesting uh, to see, you know, exactly what happened. And Hunter does admit to being drunk or high at the time, saying, uh, yeah, I'm here with my dad. Now, is that a big deal? Uh, not for Hunter, per se. It's a big deal for Joe Biden, who was using him his, his clout as vice president uh, to um, to cut these deals, to get these, you know, $5 million paydays that he could, you know, turn around and sell and um, and do what he wants with the money, right? Selling his office, selling his power. So uh, we're going to discuss that. We're also going to talk about a couple other things that we have on the agenda. So let us uh, continue with the program straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. At night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, we get to the phones, your calls, and more right now. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to our, our friend Al Kalispell, Montana, K-O-F-I. Al, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. 
Hey, Rich, I just really want to compliment you. You came through like the radio star you are. I just oh, want man. to quote you quick. You just previously said um, AOC used a lot of words to say very little. You just totally summed up that she's competent as a bartender and not a congressperson. She's not congressional material. And you sent me to the floor in laughter when you said that. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you. And I just want to say thank you. Oh, thank you, Al. I appreciate that. I, I, re- I appreciate you listening. Honestly, you know, uh, telling a joke or two and uh, making fun of um, funny people in Congress uh, is useless, right? If, if Al and Kalispell and Jane in Saratoga and Paul and Boise and the rest of the crew isn't really listening, right? Uh, I always tell people there's no show without listeners. So it's, uh, I'm always grateful that you guys take the time out of your evening uh, to listen to the show. Now, let me ask you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on McConnell stepping aside uh, are you as happy as I am about that? Yes, I am. Because isn't Mitch married to a Chinese national that her family owns the largest ship container manufacturing ship business? Yeah, I don't know that she's a Chinese national. She might be a U.S. citizen, but uh, she definitely has Chinese roots. And you're right. Her dad uh, does own this this um, biggest um, shipping company in, in China. And uh, they, they, they've, they've made a fortune. Uh, like a Pelosi kind of fortune, as I understand it, like a hundred million or hundred fifty million dollars, and uh, that's a lot more million dollars than I have, right? I don't know about you, Al, but uh, hundred fifty is a big number, and it it really makes you question, you know, where does your loyalty lie? Now, I, I'm not going to question their loyalty per se, but I think in in uh, in general, uh, you know, not just Elaine Chow, anybody who has that type of uh, tie to uh, the CCP. I think we got to ask some questions and I'm hopeful that we did. And that's just me being skeptical and suspicious. Uh, but either way, it just doesn't always make me comfortable. You know what I'm saying, Al? Oh, I agree. And can I add one little point? Sure. Um, please, Canada and the United States, please remember Bill Clinton signed us into the World Trade Organization. Oh, yeah. Made in China. I, re- I, re- I that I actually remember that. And uh, this is this was the beginning of a lot of things. He also signed the um, what was it called NAFTA, and everybody thought that was the biggest, uh, you know, the best piece of uh, of diplomacy ever. And turns out it just it made things even easier for the Chinese that were manufacturing things in in Mexico to get them from Mexico right into the country. And uh, it was all part of that scam. And and that's what. China continues to do. They do it with cobalt. They do it with lithium. They do it with factories in China. They do it factories in Vietnam. They do it with factories in Mexico. And they're all over. And it's just so interesting to see how they, uh, they still dominate the manufacturing um, market. And you have to give them credit for that because, you know, during that time when they got admitted to the World Trade Organization at Bill Clinton's um, behest, the, the truth of the matter was that textiles were largely produced in the United States, uh, largely in North Bergen, New Jersey, and Union City, New Jersey, uh, which were, you know, known as being like the um, textile uh, capital of, of, of America. And look at where we are today, where it's hard to find anything that was assembled even in the United States, uh, let alone manufactured there when it comes to clothing. 
So, yeah, really, really good point, uh, Al and Kalispell on KOFI. Thank you for the call. I appreciate you. And uh, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and more. Uh, let's go to Jane calling from Saratoga, New York, WFAS. Go right ahead, Jane. Uh, hey, Rich. Um, hey. Al's right. <laughs> He's very right about you. Okay, oh, the thing the thing about children, um, what's hap- I am sick of these woke idiots indoctrinating children. What we have to do, and what I broke away from working with the state, we went out as private counselors, and I would work with the entire family, and we would sit, and everyone at the table got to speak, and children were encouraged to speak up, there was no snapping back at them by the parents or anyone else. And um, it's really interesting how much can come out when you do it in a respectful, organized way. But you have to mean business and have strong convictions and encourage parents to be parents. And do yeah. not let these idiots indoctrinate their children. Oh, I agree with you. I think you can't co-parent with the government. You can't co-parent with uh, these school teachers that are woke and and, and losing their minds. You can't co-parent with anybody that's not your co-parent. Otherwise, you're relinquishing your rights. And uh, I agree that with what you're saying, Jane, that Mm -hmm. it's it's uh, it's abusive to allow your child to transition. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why we allow it. I don't know why it's not labeled as such. But it's definitely um, a problem, uh, I believe. And I think we have to uh, address it as such. Otherwise, we're going to normalize it into something like, no, 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 that's just their choice. And one more thing that we've normalized in our society that we don't need to do. Jane in Saratoga, New York, WGDJ, excuse me. Thank you for your call. I always appreciate hearing from you. And thank you for your kind words. And folks, we continue. Wait till you hear about what this guy in a band did to his bandmate, In order to steal his girl, you're not going to believe this one. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. No hair, no care, and live on the air. It's Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So imagine if you're in a band and one of the guys that you play with, uh, this guy has a girlfriend and you want to steal his girlfriend. How does that work out? Well, I'm going to tell you how it works out because it's pretty crazy the way it it plays out. It really, really is. Uh, This is a a wild, wild story, in my opinion, right? Uh, This singer, and these guys are hardcore singers, uh, this guy is accused of dosing his bandmate with a hormone in order to steal his fiancée. Now, this is a a small-time band, um, that is is getting viral fame over this because this is just interesting uh, what uh, the New York Post is calling a gender-bending tale, one that involves a singer supposedly, uh, supposedly, excuse me, dosing 
his bandmate with estrogen in an effort to steal his fiance. Now, uh, the band Llorona uh, is uh, that's a Spanish word for a girl crybaby. Uh, shared the story on its Instagram page, claiming that the vocalist Diego attempted to force a transition on his supposed friend by giving him pre-workout drinks that were laced with the female hormone, estrogen. The uh, singer's goal, according to the New York Post, was to, uh, to, to the social media post, excuse me, was to make himself look more manly compared to his love rival, so that Diego could swoop in. Now, the band's, um, again, the social media post called it a stupid caveman mindset that makes zero sense. We've decided to part ways with our vocalist, Diego, due to the admission of a very disturbing and concerning uh, act toward one of our band members and their partner. And again, this was written, uh, this is a note that they put on their Instagram page. Neither the band nor the members have uh, added anything else to, um, you know, the comments and questions that resulted from this. But just imagine that you're like, hey, you want to go work out? You know, you're the vocalist, you're with the guitarist or whatever. And you're like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go hang out and uh, you know, let's go work out. And you go to work out and every time they're like, hey, look, I got you, you know, pre-workout drink. And the next thing you know, you're like, you know, I don't know. My, my nipples are very tender today. I don't know. I feel like crying all the time. And, you know, all of a sudden you're going through all these um, estrogen-related symptoms. Uh, just imagine how that would have been for, for anybody that's going through this. Anyway, the vocalist confessed to the bizarre act of, uh, of, of what he did during a drinking binge and then admitted again via text message, uh, according to the band. And he's admitted he's admitted to being obsessed with uh, the female involved, and has been attempting to sabotage their relationship by cutting uh, by cutting a pre workout that he uh, frequently gets from his job with amounts of estrogen. He has been attempting to force a transition onto him for five months in hopes that it would give him the opportunity to swoop in once he looks stronger and more manly than the other guy in comparison. The hormone-laced drinks have caused confusion as well as thousands of uh, dollars in medical bills. The victim, uh, whose name is Six, tried to figure out what was going on. He said he had physical changes from the hormones besides stomach ulcers, but weight loss, muscle fatigue uh, that uh, he wasn't going to get into, as well as mental changes. Um, he said he's not going to pass off what he admitted uh, to as a joke or confusion. Even in his state of drunkenness, the member wrote, uh, what he did was disgusting and has an immense negative effect on my life. That's what one guy is saying about the other guy who did the, the, the dosing. Ay. Ay, bendito. Anyway, the Instagram page also posted uh, what appeared to be texts in which Diego seemed to apologize for this heinous plot, saying, I was really drunk and told Six and his fiance that I was obsessed with her and had a deep hatred for Six and gave Six some estrogen to get the edge on him. I've been kicked out of Llorona as well and will no longer be in the scene. Uh, obviously, the music scene. Wow. So I want to know, A, what are your thoughts on this? And B, have you ever been through this? Do you have a story that's even remotely similar to this about somebody drugging somebody or otherwise sabotaging them to take their girl? Um, 
I have a story like this. Maybe I can figure out how to clean it up for radio. But uh, I'd love to hear your stories on this. So uh, give me a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, of course, we're taking calls on anything else that you guys have uh, um, you know, observed and want to muse on uh, this evening. Uh, let's go to Dan. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, listening on America's oldest radio station, KDKA. Dan, um, I know you want to talk about um, something, but I want, before we get to your topic, I want to ask you, uh, have you ever seen somebody sabotage another person to try to steal their girl? Actually, uh, no, I haven't. But uh, I think I have to reevaluate my life in terms of what that whole concept is. And you can focus that on a lot of what's going on to adolescents in the woke generation. Uh, it's an unfortunate type thing. And I don't think you really voiced your intentions on other people clandestinely as he did on his or right. you know, I mean, it's a, it's an admirable thing for his love, but it's not. It's not. Uh, Dan, you're cutting in and out. I don't know if the phone is dropping or you're on a on a Bluetooth headset or something like that. But I think you're right. I think it's um, one of those things where you know, uh, yeah, great, kudos to being in love, but you can't go feeding people estrogen and giving the guy stomach ulcers so you can look a little more macho around him because he's looking more girly, like a girly man, like Arnold would say. Now, Dan, uh, if you're still there, tell me uh, your thoughts um, that you wanted to share tonight. Okay, it's like uh, with Andrew Jackson. This refers to uh, frontier time, and I always thought of him as, Maybe a little rough in some negative aspects to his personality. But uh, you look at a $20 bill and the man is older, but he's got a, you know, a lot of hair. So that's kind of masculine in a sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this, refers, this refers to an old movie called Old Yeller. And it's very to the point and emotional for, I think, any boy, girl, man, woman, of any age, because it's been around 70 years from Disney in a good time, and it really cuts to the heart of what it means to be growing up in America. Yeah, I, let's, I, let me tell you, I grew up watching this movie. It was old then, and uh, I loved it. I loved, uh, for me, it was it was about the love that the boy had for his dog, Yeller, and it, it was just great. And, um, you know, I mean, who doesn't love a, a golden retriever? Um you know, I mean, that's just like a staple. It's like apple pie or loving your mom. But uh, you're right. Um, I think there's there's uh, there's some similarities there and just lessons that you can learn. I mean, I never thought about the juxtaposition between Andrew Jackson and Old Yeller. But uh, or even having a full head of hair and being more masculine because I don't have a full head of hair and I tend to think I'm pretty masculine. Maybe it's the beard. But uh, I, I understand what you're saying. And uh, and I appreciate it. And uh, it made me uh, happy to think of Old Yeller. So thank you for sharing that with us, Dan. Big shout out to Dan in Pittsburgh on KDKA. And I'm going to take a quick pause here. We're coming right back uh, with your calls from Wisconsin, New York, Indiana, Idaho, and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
There is more news in your commentary, in your analysis, than there is on the news network. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So yesterday, Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil McGraw, he was on The View, you know, with uh, Whoopi Goldberg and the rest of the crew. And and he was in the hot seat, but he set him straight. And I we had the audio yesterday. I didn't play it yesterday because we got caught up with a lot of other things. Uh, but I wanted to play it tonight. And now tonight we have a little bit of a technical difficulty. So I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, it's It's been all over the social media. And it's... Um, it was really eye-opening in so much as um, it was it was just interesting that he pointed this out and, and said that the damage that was done from the COVID lockdowns to students caused a massive depression and anxiety that we'd never seen before. And it caused more damage than COVID would have caused just leaving the schools open. And I thought, man, that's that's brilliant. And, and, you know, he, he made the case that this wasn't, uh, uh, something that, you know, he thought was the case. It was something that, uh, in fact was the case. And, uh, I, I just thought it was really well put and, and you don't usually see Dr. Phil take that route, uh, you know, of arguing and whatnot. He, he's more of the, uh, the, the oh, pardon me. There you go. Um, I had it playing on my phone and, it was just very, very interesting um, to, to see that interaction that he had with the folks on The View. So um, anyway, I want to um, put out an APB on Dr. Phil because I want to have this discussion with him. I want to know why he's talking about this stuff because it was it was a very uh, poignant, a very apt thing to say to point out that these kids are, you know, they some of them ended up getting abused because they were no longer in school. They were no longer in the system where they people could account for them and look out for them. And I thought, man, this is a very, very good point and a point that many of us should um, should pay attention to and going on to say that some of them end up even being trafficked because they were no longer in school and, and nobody was looking out for them. And that's something that um, I think it, it goes underreported and under discussed in the media and on talk shows and all over the place. So, Dr. Phil, if you're listening, if Dr. Phil's people are listening, my people are calling your people. We want to get Dr. Phil on the show uh, because this is a discussion that I think America needs to hear. And he tried to have it on The View, but they, were, they weren't very accommodating. He did shut him down, and good for him. Uh, but I want to give him a, an opportunity to discuss with all of our um, amigos in late night um, how important of a topic this is. So, um Hopefully we get Dr. Phil on the show. Anyway, I want to continue with your calls. Let us go to Nick in La Crosse, Wisconsin on WIZM. Nick, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hello, Rich. I love your show. I got to tell you that first. Thank you. Well, my question is, like, should uh, Donald pick a VP now and run with the person or should he wait? Yeah, well, I think it's customary to wait until you've secured the nomination. And then, you know, once you, you've, you know, been uh, officially given the nomination and you've secured the delegates, then uh, it becomes uh, the the process of, you know, let me name my VP to help me run this campaign. 
Now, in in true Trumpian fashion, um, even Trump Pence wasn't really a, a. I mean, yes, Pence was out there campaigning, and I think Pence is a good campaigner and a good communicator, and he was a a, a former governor and a former congressman, a former radio host. So I think he's uh, he's great at a lot of things, but. It was really the Trump show, right? Trump is one of those people that is just a, a, a big personality. And I, I think whomever he picks as a VP, it, it's a challenge for them if they're also a big personality. And, and I've seen that even in my own radio career. Like, you know, um, there were times where I did some partner work with other people. And I always found it difficult to play with other people in the sandbox. I, I like doing a solo show. And and, and I learned that the hard way by doing shows with other people. And I was like, man, this stinks. You know, I can't say what I want to say when I want to say it because they're talking and then I forget my thought. And, you know, it's just one of those things. You got to wait for the timing to be right. You don't want to trample their words. You don't want them to trample yours. And it, it just becomes uh, for some people that 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 synergy of a, a duo in television or radio is, is a beautiful thing. And when it works, it works. But uh, it doesn't always work for everybody. And some people are better, you know, as solo people. And. Uh, I think Trump is one of those guys that he will pick a, a, a vice president and I think he'll give them as much leeway as possible uh, because credit to him as president, I think Vice President Pence was probably the most active vice president I've seen in my lifetime. He didn't just do ceremonial things. He actually was in charge of the the COVID response. Uh, he gave the the briefings. He was able to be the manager that he is, right? And uh, and use his skills uh, acquired as governor and whatnot to actually be, uh, in my opinion, probably the most active vice president I've ever seen. Way more active than uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president now. So uh, those are my thoughts there. I honestly have no clue. I think Trump is great at surprises. Right. Last Friday, we we had a, a fashion designer on the show, a former style editor from Forbes magazine telling us about these golden sneakers that Trump released at a sneaker convention, right? That was a surprise. I didn't see that coming. I've been, you know, trying to find a pair of these sneakers for myself, and I think I might have snagged a pair. If I get them, I'll let you know. But my point is, you know, Trump is full of surprises, and he's got a lot of interesting ideas. And uh, who knows who he's going to pick? A lot of people are saying um, Christy Nome, uh, Carrie Lake, and, and there's just a, a number of people I think he could pick. I don't know who he's going to end up with. But, Nick, who do you think uh, Trump is going to pick? Greg Abbott. I, I like Greg Abbott. Texas. Greg Abbott. All right. Yeah, there you go. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and I think um, a lot of people, even me, I, I'm, I, I think that that may make sense. Two guys from the South, at least they're not both from Florida. Um Again, I think there's a lot of conventional wisdom that goes out the window. I don't know that Trump is going to follow conventional wisdom, but I know um, in years past, elections past, people would say, well, you don't want to have two guys from the South. You want somebody from the North and somebody from the South or somebody from the East Coast and somebody from the West Coast. Um, I don't know if he's going to follow that type of logic. But if he goes with somebody from from the South Dakota, like um, Governor uh, what's her name? I'm forgetting her name. I'm drawing a blank. I just said it. Christy Nome. Um, then uh, I think he would have those bases covered. Uh, if he goes with Abbott, I think he doesn't have those bases covered. He doesn't have the, the female angle covered. Uh, and you're going to need people uh, that are going to be able to uh, appeal to um, to those women voters that he needs to reel in. And um, we'll see. I, I don't know if, if Abbott's even on the short list, but uh, interesting. I mean, I think he's a great governor and um, and he he's done great for for uh, Texas and, and needs to keep fighting for Texas, because if he's not, who is? 
Nick, thank you for your call. I got to pause right here because the clock is telling me I got to go, but we're coming right back for the speed round. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It is the speed round as we wrap up tonight's broadcast, and we're going to start off with uh, Steve, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Steve, go right ahead quickly. It's a speed round. How many seconds do I have? You've got eight seconds less now. Go ahead. Jesus Christ, that's not possible. All right, Steve, thanks for your call. Let's go to Sarah. Sarah's in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, what say you? Uh, great show. I remember the Clinton years and when NAFTA and CAFTA was a big controversy and everybody talking about leveling the, leveling the playing field and how wonderful it'll be. And here we are in 2024 and China's eating our lunch. So, you know, yep. there were people who warned against this. And, uh, you know, here I we think are. you're right. We are. And, and we we need some sort of trade, but it can't be the unchecked trade that we have where we're just letting truck and truck and truck and truck after truck in without uh, doing the right type of vetting. And I think Trump fixed that when he um, redid that deal um, with with Mexico. But uh, it took a long time to get that fixed. Sarah, thanks for the call. WBIW. Uh, let's see. Let's see who gets this last 45 seconds. Derek in Jamestown, New York. Your thoughts on the transgender movement. Go right ahead. What up, B? You are my brother. You're not another. And we came from the same mother. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the transgender movement? You got like 20 seconds. Yeah, trans- transgender movement came all the way. We got to remember from Sodom and Gomorrah before America, Sodom and Gomorrah existed, and it just shows up. Yeah, I think you're you're right. I think you're right. I think sin is sin, right? And uh, we can trace back the roots of sin to a lot of places, and that particular sin uh, was definitely evident in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, as it's noted in the Bible. Uh, Paul and Boise, thanks for your call, saying children are going missing after coming across the border. You're right. Folks, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.